Hello and welcome to Switch It, where the international treadmill has never looked so good. England's men are back on the road, back in their bubble and back in South Africa, just as they were at the start of 2020. We all know how the rest of the year went, but let's assume the two aren't connected in any way. It's been a few weeks since our last pod, so to bring us up to speed ahead of this white ball tour, I requested the company of two of ESPN Crick Info's most informed and knowledgeable correspondents. Unfortunately, neither was available, so we've got George Bell and Fedoz Munda on the line instead. Ho, ho, ho. I'm only jingling your bells, of course. How are we doing? Looking forward to Black Friday and the start of uh, the Christmas shopping power play? Not really. I mean, you can't go anywhere, can you? <laughs> oh, well, Black uh, Friday, an opportunity you don't to, need to go anywhere more Black Friday. time it's on all... your laptop. <laughs> yes, it, exactly. It's all, it's all just clicking, isn't it? Pointing and clicking. Uh, yeah. Do you know, I, I was due to go on holiday to Barbados on, I think, December the 3rd. And instead well, I'll be in Birmingham. I love Birmingham. But <laughs> Barbados in December is a wee bit warmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, life's rubbish. Anyway, we're still alive, aren't we? Set the bar pretty low. Yeah. I mean, it, it, does lockdown uh, end in England on December 3rd? So it's almost as good. Well, does it? I mean, it sort of <laughs> If you does. go to tier three. I go straight to the line, uh, what, what's happening in the pubs. Don't want to sound shallow, but no. I do. And basically, you have to have a substantial meal if you go to the pub or something, or a takeaway. Well, that's not the same thing. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, well, on the, on, the, on the COVID front, lots of positive noises about vaccines, of course. Um, the question on everyone's lips, George, is, is will that be enough to keep county cricket afloat? Uh, <laughs> in cricket, we are always reliant on the wisdom of the people in the white coats and there is no change there is there the whole world is reliant on (laughs) the people who we probably saw as geeks at school who are now engaged in saving our lives and uh isn't that great um and i don't mean ice cream people uh uh, look the the, all all the uh, evidence would suggest that um well there's reason for optimism uh ahead of uh the 2021 english season that's quite a long way away uh, and I guess the good news, or the positive way to think about it, is that 2021 really might be a fantastic celebration. It really might be. We're going to have a new appreciation of things that maybe we took a bit for granted. Uh, and, and it does seem uh, tangible now that maybe, maybe, maybe the end's in sight, uh, I think. Although I am always reminded of the, the start of World War Z. Was that not a vaccine? Mm. <laughs> you heard it here first what a cheery thought uh, well on, on to the zombie apocalypse um, Ferdo it's good to have you on the show have you done your Christmas shopping yet? <laughs> none whatsoever we're, we're just excited about summer so George was due to go on holiday now I was due to go on holiday in April then in May, then in June then in July, then in August then in September but I haven't left this well, I want to say I haven't left this house, but I have left it a little bit. Um, and we are really looking forward to summer. You know, it's George was here last summer. Summers in South Africa are great. So we are hopefully going to be getting outdoors and doing all the good things and winning cricket rather than other things that we were doing last summer. Because it's pretty much since England were last here till them being back here, I just feel like we've been doing the same thing, writing the same stories and being in the same time warp. 
Well, of course, South Africa last played in, in March. Um, quite a lot has changed, but you know, it's comforting to see that CSA still haven't got their act together, which, is, which has been what's keeping you busy over the, the uh, winter. Yeah. And I don't think they, they will. You know. Well, I suppose we, we try and be hopeful in that there's an interim board in place now. But um, just when we thought things were reaching a stage of, of dysfunctionality from which no more dysfunctionality could emerge... Then more dysfunctionality emerged. We had them sack a board, we had a board resign, we had a board member threaten a sponsor on social media. It's been really interesting. Well, fun times, as always. Uh, Like I said, the year began with England in South Africa and and look where it got us. Um, Let's get into it then. After the jamboree that is the IPL concluded a couple of weeks ago. International cricket is back with a biosecure bang. Series in New Zealand, Australia and South Africa all starting on the same day later this week. Um, England have been quarantining in, in quite a loose sense of the word in, in Cape Town. They've been training, they've played a couple of warm-up games. Um, George, it generally all seems well in the camp, uh, despite you know the sort of restrictions that uh, all teams necessarily are placed under um, at the moment when, when touring. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they they have um, wonderful options, don't they? Um, and they have a couple of tricky decisions to make, I think. Um, if you want to go straight into it in terms of, you know, they've got to decide who's batting at the top of the order. Uh, from the warm-up games, it would appear that, as ever, uh, Johnny Besto is going to be the one who's asked to uh, compromise and maybe move into the middle order. I mean, obviously, batting at the top of the order... England are very strong, but it is also the easiest place, probably, to bat in T20 cricket. Uh, and, yeah, they, they I mean, the, if they cannot find room for Joe Root in their side, who, but for a miracle, would have been player of the match in the last T20 World Cup final, uh, then, you know, that that's a position of great strength. And equally, um, it doesn't look as if Ollie Stone or, you know, is going to get in the side. And that's... That's a really uh, strong place to be. But at some stage, we're only, what, uh, 10 or so months from the next global T20 tournament. Uh, they're going to have to settle on a lineup and stick to it. And, and yeah, that's, that's really, really difficult. Yeah, the, the T20 World Cup is going to be probably the, the focus of both teams here. Um, that obviously shifted back. Um, well, this year's one booted back in 2022. There's back-to-back... World Cups, T20 World Cups still on the horizon. Um, before we get that far, before we get into the nitty gritty of um, who's going to play where and, and fulfil what role, uh, Ferdos, um, South Africa had to call off uh, their planned intra squad game at the weekend. A couple of COVID uh, positives in the camp. What is the, what is the state of play there? So there will be another round of COVID tests before the series starts. So there's only a couple of days and you can imagine there'll also be some time that's needed for results to get in. And because uh, of the doctor-patient confidentiality, which South Africa are sticking to quite closely, none of the names of the players who test positive or who are isolating because they're close contacts with those who test positive will be revealed, which I guess means that when we see a team sheet on Friday, we might have to make some of our own deductions as to why certain players are, are not playing. And, and obviously it's a big squad, it's 24 people in the squad, so some of it will be tactics and some of it may be forced on them. 
Um, it's interesting that COVID has affected South Africa each time that they've tried to take the field since lockdown. So for that 3CC match, which was played in July, we had quite a few players pull out either for COVID-related reasons themselves or because of contacts or because of family situations. And then when the domestic season started, the Warriors franchise in the Eastern Cape had to bench six players. And they're, they're, because testing only happens every two weeks in domestic franchises, they had to bench them for two rounds of fixtures. They lost them both really badly as well. So that's been problematic. And now we've got this. It just seems South Africa needs a bit of time to get used to how this is all going to work. And do remember, we're not testing as much as from an elite sports perspective as other countries because of limited number of tests and a much larger population. So some interesting times ahead this summer, especially. Yeah, I mean, uh, CSA has had a, a tough winter. We touched upon even before you factor in COVID. How, how important is it for, the, for them that this tour goes off uh, successfully? Hugely important for several reasons, chief of which is financial. So Cricket South Africa are staring down the barrel of a heap of debt and really need a money-making tour to save them. And it may not save them entirely, but an England tour brings in several million rands, and that's because of broadcast rights. And I mean, it's not gate takings anymore, but sponsorship that will come from that. And then they host Sri Lanka and Pakistan later this summer, which will be loss-making tours. And then hopefully Australia towards the, the end of the season, and that will bring in some money. So from a financial perspective, Cricket South Africa are absolutely desperate for this to go well. And then from a playing perspective too, South Africa only won one of the five trophies on offer last season. They've had a long break, the longest since readmission actually. So to really see how they're gelling under a new coaching leadership, we saw very little of the Boucher coaching style last summer, especially in white ball cricket. And it almost seems like if they had to play that T20 World Cup now, I'm not even sure what the South African squad would look like. So they've got a year to really get things right, to really work on combinations and A.B. de Villiers, I guess, I had to say it because we all know he's going to come up, um, and, and to really get themselves ready to challenge for some major trophies in the next couple of years. And George for England, this is a, sort of a chance for them to get back together. They've played a lot of cricket during the English summer. A lot of the players have now been at the IPL. Um, but the rest of the winter is still a little bit of, a, of an uncertain shape. Um, the tour to Pakistan, for instance, that was, was kind of mooted as, um, is not going to happen in January now. Um, but this is a, sort of a short, sharp um, trip for the, for the white ball team to, to kind of get together again um, before that, the big run into that 2021 World Cup next year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, particularly uh, the T20 side is is pretty much full strength. I think any suggestion that anyone's been rested or anything at this stage, I don't know, with only a year to go, you want to play the full strength side. So uh, that is really relevant. Look, I think we do know the rest of the, the winter now. I think England will play two tests in uh, Sri Lanka, one way or another. And I think they'll play four tests against... India and lots of T20s, five, isn't it? Um, and uh, and that will be that. And one way or another, those games will happen, whether they're in India or the UAE, we'll see. So um, they could work out how many games there are left before they have to pick a squad uh, and go to that global tournament where, to be honest, they're probably going to be among the favourites, aren't they? Um, they? They were, They as I say, it took a bit of a miracle to beat them last time. Uh, where are West Indies right now in the T20 rankings? They're they're very low, but again, wouldn't completely write them off. But so England really uh, need it's an excellent test. I mean, obviously the conditions are wildly different from what they'll be next year, 
But South Africa are a really good side. There was actually very little between the sides for the whole of that tour, I thought, this time, roughly this time last year. Uh, or even it was earlier this year, wasn't it? <laughs> but there, was, there really wasn't that much between the sides. So it's a really good test. And, um, uh, you know, England, I think, have to define this, the, the role definition of each of those players. You know, as they did in the ODI side, they have to make decisions and, and stick to them. Uh, and I don't necessarily think there are right and wrongs uh, with a lot of these things. But once you make a decision, I think you probably do need to stick to it. And so if they're going to move Joss, which they're not, uh, you've got to do it now. Well, yes, plenty um, plenty for both teams to sort of get into there. Um, and and the, the, But there's another issue, I think, that needs addressing before we... Um, before we move on to that, and the the Black Lives Matter movement has been given um, great prominence in the world of sport. Um, in cricket, we saw men and women from England, West Indies, and Ireland taking a knee during the summer. The same at the recent WBBL, and Australia will be making a, a, a barefoot circle as a gesture to Indigenous people in their country ahead of um, series with India. There's also been criticism, such as from Michael Holding, when teams have opted against making a public stand, which um, brings us to South Africa Ferdos and their decision not to take a knee during this series. Given the history of the country, uh, the aims around transformation and so on, has that call? How how has that call um, been received? I think we will see more fully in the coming days how it is received, because I think it's only been quite recent where that. Firstly, the decision has been expressed in the last couple of days, but then the lack of explanation around it was really amplified perhaps in the last day or two. So I would say it's, it's going to be received with disappointment largely because South Africans, and especially given the rhetoric around what's happened in winter and the, the huge outpouring from players of colour about their treatment over the years, and we're talking about a historical thing, you know, pretty much not just since readmission, but definitely during the isolation period, and now it seems as though people who, who were silent for a very long time are being able to find a voice and really express the pain that they've gone through. So the South African players, 24 of them, did take a knee in that 3CC match. And uh, director of cricket, Graham Smith, was there. Makai Antini, one of the former players of colour who spoke about his own story of exclusion, was there. But, you know, there were also people absent from, from that occasion. And one of them was the national head coach, Mark Boucher, and the other was the national white ball captain, Quinton de Kock. Neither of them have made any statements about Black Lives Matter. Neither of them uh, have indicated how they feel about this. All they're saying is that they went on a culture camp to the Kruger National Park in August. This issue was discussed and it has now been put to bed, which I think is pretty naive. You know, in South Africa, we can't say we've put the issue of racism to bed because if we said that in 1994 then you know we, we were just kidding ourselves. This is a very real issue. And we saw it very recently in, in a rugby match uh, with the Sale Sharks where eight South African players, among them World Cup winners, you know, Sia Khaleesi's World Cup winners, not taking a knee and the backlash against that. It's just not a good look because the explanation isn't clear. I think if the players came out to us and said, look, these 10 of us wanted to do this and six of us wanted to do that and this is why we're not doing it and this is why this is happening... It may make more sense. Right now, all we're hearing is that we're not taking a knee because we are being anti-gender-based violence, which is great. But like, you know, you can be more than one thing, um, which I, and I just don't think that the complexities of society are reaching the, the upper echelons of sport, which, as you can tell, is really bothering me. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is um, an issue which uh, has had a lot of debate over the last few months and, and months and about which people obviously feel very deeply. Um, there, there were kind of public disagreements in South Africa, weren't there, around that 3TC game and, and Lungi and Gidi was kind of the, the figurehead, um, faced criticism from, from uh, white former uh, South Africa players. I mean, Boucher suggested that Ngidi as the sort of um, leader of, of um, the players pushing that for that recognition in the dressing room was happy with with um, what they've decided to do. And they've kind of repeatedly said that this is a team decision, even to the point of stopping you from answer, asking questions on, on this uh, subject <laughs> anymore this week. But I mean, how, how convincing is that uh, an answer? I don't know. I mean, I think, first of all, poor, poor Lungi and Gidi, you know, is kind of lumped as the poster boy for this when actually he was just answering a question. He'd been asked at a, pre- at a press conference. He'd won T20 Player of the Year. He just so happened to be the person up that day for the media engagement. And then because uh, I think England and West Indies had taken a knee the day before in that week and uh, Lungi and Gidi was asked about it and he said, look, I hope that our players uh, join the rest of the world and we make a stand. That then ended up becoming the poster boy label. There was backlash from four former white players. Then there was that outpouring from 32 former players of colour and five current coaches. And then, I mean, we don't have all day, so I won't go on. People can read about it. But um, what we're hearing is Kakiso Rabada saying Black Lives Matter will always be relevant. He's 100% behind the cause. The way that he spoke made me think, not just me, I think anybody listening to it, that he's, it's something that's very much at the forefront of the things that he wants to discuss, yet the team, and I don't know who the team is, you know, is it all of them, is it one of them, is it a few senior players, because that's not being explained, have decided not just that they won't take a knee, but that nothing, that they don't want to gesture, they don't want to have anything that appears to be tokenism in the name of anti-racism, which is fine, but then they've got a gesture against gender-based violence, which will be a black armband, the flags will fly at half-mast because we're in national days of mourning for the more than 20,000 people who've died because of the coronavirus. Those are all gestures too. So it's kind of like how come some things can be gestured and some things can't. I think there's something going on here which isn't being expressed, which is perhaps that some players are uncomfortable with the debate around racism. And it is an uncomfortable subject in South Africa. You know, John T. Rhodes probably vocalized it best when, when he spoke about himself as what he regarded as quite a mediocre middle-of-the-road player who probably wouldn't have made it at the time that he was a mediocre middle-of-the-road player if he wasn't white. And so you're asking people to really think about would I be where I am and would I be who I am if I wasn't what color I am, which is deep, right? You really need to to dig deep within yourself. And then you're asking them to do that while they're isolated in hotel rooms, uh, while they're dealing with the issue of a pandemic which is causing its own problems. I just think if communication is clearer, and I say that not just because the question was stopped, but because in general Cricket South Africa's communication this winter has been poor, if communication was clearer, we may understand this better. And we need dialogue in this country and everywhere about racism. Yeah, I mean, uh, George, England have been engaged uh, in these conversations quite a lot recently. They obviously um, uh, took part in uh, in taking a knee with the West Indies um, during the series in the summer and, and Ireland as well. That uh, The England women also did the same. And then there was a bit of a push from some of the England women when they went over to the to the women's big bash about about doing it there as well. Um, I don't think it was sort of a, a uniform um 100% uh, take up but um i mean it, 
England uh, w- would, uh, I'm assuming, have no issue with doing it again in South Africa, but aren't likely to, to want to, to push the issue um, but, I mean, if South Africa are sort of set on this stance. But, I mean, does it surprise you that, that South Africa have uh, come out sort of so um, vocally to say that well, they won't be doing anything on this topic? Good question. Does it surprise me? Given the history... Uh, not as much as it should. Uh, you know, it wouldn't cost them anything to do it. It's not like they've got bad knees. It's not like they've struggled to get up afters. Uh, you know, there, 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 there's a point there that they're making. You, you don't want to be tokenistic. You don't want to make empty gestures. But I don't... I... I I don't see that it costs them anything. Just, you know, get down on your knee. Bearing in mind the history, get down on both knees. I, I, I think it's a really big missed opportunity, and I think they'll look back and regret it. Um, I don't see England trying to show them up at all. Um, I mean, there's a bit of me wishes they would, if I'm honest, uh, but I don't see them doing that. Look, in, in the summer... I think England and West Indies uh, were, were of very similar minds with what to do. And then uh, they did the same against uh, Ireland. It didn't happen. England, the ECB, didn't ask Pakistan to do it. And I think uh, people involved would admit now they're not positive they got that decision right. Um, you know, they're just not sure. And I get where they were coming from, I think. I think there is a slightly different dynamic in Pakistan and there is a a view that you know there's been a lot of um, uh, uh, discrimination against uh, Muslim people as well and that's probably true and uh, the ECP didn't want to get into a position where they were asking Pakistan to do something and Pakistan said no so they didn't ask them I think that's what happened and then they didn't ask Australia because they hadn't asked Pakistan and they didn't want to show up Pakistan does that make sense? So we don't know what Pakistan would have said. They might well have said yes. Who knows? But I think that that was the situation there. As for this one, ju- I just can't see that it costs South Africa anything to do it. So what, sometimes gestures are important. They're not everything. But they start things off and they show willing. And bearing in mind the history of that country and all the rest of it, I just can't see where they'd go the extra mile and take the 90 seconds required to show a mark of respect to the Black Lives Matter movement before this series or before each game. So I, I think it's a missed opportunity and I think it shows how far we have to go on this issue. And uh, If there's one good thing that's come from the year, it's that in May we, we weren't, I wasn't certainly, uh, paying attention to this in the detail that we should have been. Uh, and it's been very, very shocking this year. It's what I'll take away from the year as much as COVID. All the revelations, uh, starting properly with Michael Carberry and then Michael Holding and Ebony and uh, Azim Rafiq and going right up to uh, Ishmael Daywood and the, uh, the umpires thing recently. There have been so many examples of uh, discrimination in the UK now, I'm talking really, which actually should have been slapping us in the face for years. We, oh, I hadn't noticed, we hadn't noticed. So, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody. Uh, I think we've made some progress because we're now more aware of that. And that's a good thing. Uh, uh, but to, to, be, uh, to accept 
to, to realise you have to make change, you have to accept there's a problem. And I'm not, sure they're, I'm not sure they're doing as much as they can to accept there's a problem in South Africa. Maybe I don't understand all the details. Maybe, maybe there's a detail going on. But I, I, I do want to say that I completely agree with what Furry has said, because I know, I know how social media works. She'll get abuse because um, she's a woman, a woman of colour, and she's making that view. Well, I agree with her. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Ferdos, we've got your back here. Um, I mean, it's acknowledging the problem, as George says, is kind of um, the start, and, and um, in many ways, kind of you know, only a start. And, and in South Africa has, in contrast to a lot of other countries on this, has got publicly acknowledged um, uh, structures and, and uh, deliberately um, put in place um, transformation targets to try and redress some of the issues of the past uh, and obviously there, there's a level of controversy involved there too but I mean it, for those, given given that there are those um, efforts to uh, make the team more representative of, of the society um, uh, of South African society uh, more representative of the people um, is it is it slightly surprising that um, they have appeared to have kind of made a, an obvious misstep here on the um, the BLM front? Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, it's really helpful to have people who understand this issue from the outside, especially as George was saying, you know, it's not just a, a case of being in the minority gender-wise in cricket, which, which I hope is changing, but also, yeah, in the minority as a person of colour in the professional South African setup. Excuse me, I have a giant cat around. <laughs> I think that... Um, I want to say it's surprising, but I feel like we've always known that there was uh, a level of elitism in South African cricket, not least because most cricketers are produced from the top 20 or 30 schools, and the people who have access to those schools have usually been of one demographic. So we've always known that you know cricket in South Africa had a lot of racial issues to it, and that the transformation targets, which were vehemently fought against by a lot of people, were... And a colour by numbers exercise rather than a hearts and minds exercise. So I remember the former convener of selectors, Rushdi Majid, talking to me about this many years ago and saying, the issue is not that we say you must have four, and at that stage it was four, players of colour in the team, and there was no black African quota either. The issue is that when people see that, the first thing they think is, okay, let's fill those four places as quickly as possible with whoever, and then we'll fit all the white players in around that. Or we'll, we'll choose the white players we want and then whatever's left, we'll just like pick any players of colour to fulfil that role. There was never a, a genuine attempt at how can we integrate. And that happened for maybe the first 10 years of the target system. Then they were scrapped. Then we had some loose target system which was never agreed upon up until the 2015 World Cup where the issue happened with Vernon Philander and then we got a target system and a black African target system. So we had like a tiered structure. And there was huge pushback against that from generic black people and that's someone like myself who's of Asian heritage uh, and what we call colored people in South Africa, which is people of a mixed race, I suppose we can explain it that way, and then black African people who you know, are the majority population and the most discriminated against and the least represented in cricket. And I suppose there was, there's these very clumsy attempts to redress the issue. There's been another clumsy attempt over the winter, which is this idea of uh, reparations and a social justice committee. And I mean, how is anybody going to decide how much X player should be repaid because he didn't play so many matches and now he needs to be reimbursed for a match fee? 
it just seems like a, a real task. And the committee was given 10 million rand, which is around, uh, I'm going to say $200,000, but I'm probably wrong. And it, um, nothing's happened. Nothing's moved since then. And the board member in charge of that has since resigned as well, which doesn't help. So I, I don't know that we can be entirely surprised that this is what happened. I think we also need to realize that these players come from communities, whether it's the white players or the black players. And the views that they're going to represent on the field as South Africans wearing the Protea badge and, and representing the so-called Rainbow Nation uh, are one thing. And then they have to go home to their communities where there may be backlash against those views. So it's really, really tricky. And we don't know who is, is facing what issues from their communities and who is being called uh, too progressive or too left-wing. You know, we, we, in South Africa, we conflated the issue of uh, being liberal with being uh, you know, almost communist. So we had these two things coming on where we would say we have <laughs> the, the Roy Khafar, the red, the red danger, the communists are coming, and the Swat Khafar, the black danger, the black people are coming. And they got conflated. And so now you hear a lot of accusations that the Black Lives Matter movement is a Marxist, uh, you know, liberate, liberation kind of movement, which these things are very hard to solve on a cricket podcast, and um, I just feel like we, what's lacking is, is proper debate and conversation, and so we start conversations a lot of the time, and then somebody gets annoyed and says, okay, now I'm just going to leave because this conversation's not going anywhere. I mean, that happened to me a few times today, actually. So it, it's not like people are willing to engage with an open mind because we're actually living it. I think it's a lot easier if you're a little bit distant from the situation and you can look at it from a bird's eye view. I think when you're living it every day, you know, in South Africa, who are the people cleaning our homes? Who are the people serving us in, in the restaurants? Who are the majority of the people owning the land? In the piece I wrote today, more than two-thirds of the land in this country is owned by the minority white population. That is staggering, right? That's telling you a lot about, about inequality here. And, and at the same time, another amazing thing, three women are being uh, murdered every hour in South Africa. So it's like we've got so many massive issues to deal with. And um, I don't know that we can confront them all. And I almost think that the national teams don't know how to confront them. So I think it would have been so interesting if we'd had the, the Rugby World Cup this year or the events of this year during the Rugby World Cup, because there we had a, a white Afrikaans coach and a black African captain, and they came up with this whole stronger together mantra. And, and really, you know, when you, when you watch the, the documentary that's just been on television about it, talking about Makazolo Mapimpi, who was the guy who scored the try in the final, one of the tries, saying he, he had nothing, you know, he really comes from the absolute nothing township. When the team had to put photographs of players who mean something to them on their number, he only had pictures of himself. He has absolutely no one. And he formed part of the squad with guys who went to really good schools, you know, like Paul Jim and like these very, very impressive schools. We don't really, we haven't got there in cricket. I, I think we're just not confronting it yet. Um, and it's going to take a lot before we get there. And we, we need initiatives. I mean, George had a really nice story up about the, the South Asian cricket community that's being formed in the UK. You know, we, we just don't, those things disintegrated with readmission. So we used to have... Uh, SACOS, which was for the players of color, and all those unions have disintegrated now. We supposedly operate under one umbrella body, which, as you know, is in turmoil. So, uh, yeah, lo long, long way to go. I feel like we'll be sitting here in 2030 having the same conversation. Well, the least we can do is is keep talking about it. Um, this podcast has never tried to solve anything, so don't worry. Um, it, I mean, George, even um, kind of the, 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 there are plenty of well-intentioned people at the ECB and um, you know, people working to um, 
deliver a more sort of uh, diverse and, uh, uh, environment and, and increased representation and so on. But as as your reporting in the last uh, well weeks and months has shown, there, there are still quite a lot of stumbling blocks even even here. Um, never mind in in South Africa with the, the history they have. But um, you know, England has uh, has work to do, or the ECB has work to do too. Oh Lord, yeah. Uh, no, no, it's the game. Uh, uh, the game in England and Wales has a huge amount of work to do, and there's lots of reasons. Uh, and and to blame it, to label it as uh, racist is probably simplistic. Uh, the phrase that I think sums it up best is perhaps that wonderful line from The Simpsons, which is, "Our prices discriminate because we can't." And the problem with uh, cricket in England is it's become very exclusive and and the the similarity with uh, England and South Africa is that both uh, teams both boards they actually need to prove that they represent the nation because they're they're not and this is no criticism of the players or any of the people involved really because actually you know obviously I'm not a massive fan of the hundred but I really applaud the uh, motivation originally behind it which was to embrace and engage with everybody uh you know the fact is that cricket in england and wales has been behind a paywall for a long time uh i think that's been extremely damaging uh and i'll give you one little stat right here if you are a kid who gets into a county age group in any county any of the first class counties you will be asked to pay roughly 150 200 pounds day one as at under 10 level whatever well, that's exclusive. I'm sorry, that's exclusive. That is doesn't sound like a huge amount of money to a lot of people. Not a lot of money to the people who are paying for the private school education and all the rest of it. But to some families, that's an insurmountable amount of money. Equally, um, all stars. What's the what's the fee to for the first year of all stars? Is it forty pounds? You know, I, I know it doesn't sound very much, and I know it's probably great value in the grand scheme of things. But if you can't afford it, you can't play cricket. And we want our great game to be open for everybody. And it's not just that. We also want to be able to draw talent from all areas of society. And we want our England team, which actually in many ways it sort of does, to represent uh, society and different views and different colours and different locations and geographies and all the rest of it. Uh, I am sort of encouraged, as I say. I think we've made some progress this year. Uh, because we are aware, we're more aware than we were, and that's how that's how change starts, isn't it? Uh, and and like this this scheme that Furry mentioned, uh, the South Asian Cricket Association, uh, that that looks absolutely admirable to me. Uh, and uh, Ebony's ACE scheme, brilliant. So there are all these things going on, uh, but I think South Africa, uh, as I say, uh, Furry's put the point very well. But I think that sometimes. It, it doesn't do any harm to make gestures. And in that country, of all places, with the history, uh, I think it wouldn't do any harm to go the extra mile to make an extra gesture. I, I, just, I just can't see why not. Well, uh, never mind CSA trying to shut down the conversation. Looks like uh, Fellows' cat has, has had enough uh, from, the, from the, the privilege of our uh, Zoom perspective. Um, I think she yes. should tell people what the cat is called, because it's a cool name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Introduce her. Yeah, this cat, uh, I don't know if people can see the screen on this, but this cat is Dusra. He oh. is the wrong one, because he was supposed to be a girl. 
and then the girl cat was uh, unavailable when it was time to collect. So we ended up with the boy, so we called him Dusra. The other cat, who is ten times smaller, literally, than this one, is called Stevens, and he is named after Cat Stevens, and he does have a good singing voice. <laughs> well, uh, we we will um, we'll believe you, Ferdas. We won't ask you to prove it on on the podcast. This, this is unusual, isn't it? I, I'm just thinking, you know, kids logging on to hear the Switch Hit podcast have got. <laughs> they've got cat talk and they've got quite a lot of talk about race relations hey i should correct something i said is that all right because yeah. i said and i mean as well uh that i think uh the, the um to to label things as racist sometimes is simplistic i genuinely mean that but at the same time just because not everything's racist doesn't mean that there isn't any and one of the things that I've certainly learned this year is there is racism in English cricket. So I, just because I'm saying that we are simplistic sometimes with that label, I want to make it very clear that I am not diminishing or denying uh, racism in the English game. It has happened, it is happening, and it needs to be rooted out. Okay, I just wanted, it's an important subject and I, you know, forgive me for being a bit pedantic about what I've said. Yeah, no, no, we we want to, to get the, these things right and, and, and keep trying to get them right. And, um, you know, we've Talking about cats, uh, we we needed to move to get move the conversation back to to something serious, um, and uh, and well, you know, I, 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 hopefully, um, I'm sure this won't be the last we hear it, I'm sh- and and hopefully CSA um, will come back round to to talking about the subject again too, uh, and we'll move back to talking about cricket, which is probably our strength. Um, speaking. Speaking for myself, at least. Um, uh, for this series um, coming up, we'll see three T20s, uh, three ODIs in a in a thirteen day period. So nice, short, sharp. Um, planning for the the World Cup, the sort of main agenda for both teams. Um, Ferdos, you're just excited to have some cricket back in town, I guess. I think so. You know, I feel like South Africa. <laughs> I sounded too hesitant, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm very excited. D- don't jump I might in not it. Sound like it. I think it's only been eight Africa's... months or something. <laughs> yeah, and the three TC thing. I mean, I don't know what we what we call it. I'm I'm actually not sure. Actually, I remember what cricket looks like. So it's going to be a challenge for us. Um, but in terms of South Africa, the the summer under Mark Boucher's leadership last year seemed very short. You know, the four tests kind of got off to a good start and then things went a little bit downhill from there and then they struggled to win and then after whitewashing Australia in the one day as went to India didn't play because the first match was rained out and had to come home because of the lockdown and it just seemed like what was starting never really got the chance to start and um, South Africa don't even have a test captain for example so this is a really important summer in that that needs to happen somebody needs to be selected there And then this ODI white ball T20 squad needs to really start taking shape. And there are just a lot of questions. I think in the top six, the only certainty right now is Quinton de Kock. Because even with a Faf Duplessis, we don't know how much longer he will play, for example. And and there are a lot of players coming through and then players who've lost form. And in the bowling lineup, I think the only two certainties are Kahisa Rabada and Anrik Nokia. So looking for a third seamer, deciding on a spinner, which all-rounders to use. It's almost like a complete blank slate. So I think it could be really exciting for South African cricket to start developing what they've now labelled um, an aggressive but smart. And it's kind of like they say aggressive really excitedly and then they pull back and they're like, but smart. Just to remind us that they're not going to go out all guns blazing. And, and I think that's very much based on what happened with England after the 2015 World Cup, where you know they had that whole rebuilding process. South Africa want to do something similar. 
but they're, they're being very careful to say, but we're not copying them. We're going to do it in a slightly different way. South African cricket has always been conservative, so we're not going to expect them to start kind of bashing out totals of 550 in a 50-over game. But I do think that we'll see some different things, and the number of spinners included, maybe with one eye on the T20 World Cup in India, maybe just because spinners seem to be taking all the wickets, even on the domestic circuit, that's really exciting, I suppose. And there's pace, you know, proper raw pace. Nokia's bowling fast. Rabana's bowling fast. And Gidi, if he comes right, I'm sure will also be bowling fast. He didn't have such a great IPL. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. If we can get past some of the issues, then the cricket will be great. Yes, more question marks than the uh, Riddler's pyjamas. Um, Ferdos, who should we um, uh, be looking out for in terms of new faces? There's a Glenton Sturman in the squad, uh, uncapped. Yeah, Glenton Stierman. Ah. Um, he he's actually been touted as a bit of a philander, so I almost wonder if we shouldn't be looking out for him a little bit more in red ball cricket but you know uh, moving the ball both ways uh, disciplined line and length that sort of thing is what we're looking for there I think of interest might be somebody like a Yanaman Milan who came up towards the end of last season and will be pushing to open the batting but you know there's a lot of competition there there's Risa Hendricks there's Temba Bavuma um, yeah and then Yanaman Milan maybe even Rassi van der Dissen could could come into the conversation so um, th- those two are really ones to look out for. I think Tabrez Shamsi is going to have a great summer. He has been looking great. He- he's taken so many wickets in the first-class competition. Um, he's like, turned his garage into a-, a-, a home gym and put up like a net situation and weights. And you know, he's really, really been-, been focused on trying to play all formats. So Keshav Maharaj has got some competition in the tests as well. And uh, then I think Luto Sipamla is also worth keeping an eye on, a young bowler. Sisanda Magala, not in the squad, but if he comes back, really good at the death. And uh, he had a couple of injury concerns over the winter, so I think that's why we're not seeing him here. So there are a lot of interesting names to look out for uh, in the South African squad. And, and I think we're, we're in that period now where we're saying, OK, the, the retired guys have gone for a bit now. And maybe we should not even be talking about, like, will Dale Stain come back, for example? Because I, I just don't think we will see him back in, in South African colours. Maybe I'm going to get myself into trouble for that. But <laughs> it, it, we're, we're really moving on. So I think you're going to start to see some of those guys that were bubbling under for several seasons. I was going to say no, Dale Stain. And... and... No Chris Morris, despite an impressive IPL? No Imran Tahir? Or is that just uh, because they know what he can do and, and he'll be... Of course he'll still be around in a year's time for, for the uh, T20 World Cup. Yeah, you know, Imran Tahir is, is everlasting. Yeah, he'll be around forever. But um, Chris Morris is an interesting one. He's not nationally contracted and in fact made himself unavailable for selection. So whether he m- maybe doesn't want to play for South Africa, he hasn't said as much. And we know he was a late replacement at the 2019 World Cup, so it felt like he was there and thereabouts. And uh, really, I found very telling when he spoke in the IPL about getting a sense of belonging and really feeling backed. And I almost wondered if that was telling us that he hasn't always felt that way in the South African setup, which is a possibility. So the two all-rounders they're looking at are Dwayne Pretorius and Andile Pechlukwayo. And then George Linder, if you're looking for a, an all-rounder who bowls spin, or John John Smuts, actually. So the two of them and maybe the, the two seam bowling all-rounders are really coming into it. And Vian Mulder, we mustn't forget about, also plagued by injuries, but on the comeback now for his franchise. So, yeah, I don't know that we'll see Chris Morris. I don't know about Dale Stain. Imran, 
You know, if Shamsi has a really good year in T20s, unless South Africa are going to take four or five spinners to the T20 World Cup, I don't know, will it maybe be too far for Imran? No, I don't think so. I think Imran will play, Shamsi will play, South Africa will win the 2021 World T20, and finally <laughs> I'll be right when I say this one is the one. <laughs> now now you're talking crazy. Um <laughs> George, um, you've touched on some of um, the issues that England will be looking to sort of resolve. I think uh, Matt, Matt Roller's written about the, the five things England will be trying to sort of nail down uh, on this tour. This is, as you say, their sort of their strongest squad, really. First time um, since Joffrey Archer qualified. He, he, uh, it was like, what, a year and a half ago now. It's um, time. Uh, it's a funny old thing. Um what what um, yeah? What will you be looking out for? I mean, you've mentioned the opening combo. Um, whether they kind of play Moeen Ali uh, or Sam Curran, or whether Moeen Ali can even find some form and confidence. What are the things you'll you'll be sort of focusing on? Well, though, yeah, those things are, are in there, and you would think that if the World Cup's going to be played in India or possibly the UAE, but probably India, um, you would think you would want to play Moeen and Adil. I mean, Adil will play, won't he? But um, so you would think you would want to settle on a team that, you know, has that sort of shape. Um, th- there's there's room for another seamer in there. I mean, you would think Sam Curran's got things sewn up, wouldn't you? Because um, whatever you might think of the weapons he offers, he just always contributes. Uh, such a feisty little competitor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went the other way at the last minute. Yeah. Um, so. I, I would, um, I'd expect him to do well, which might, I, I would, I thought that recalling Reese Topley was a really good idea, you know, with, I could see that he could play a role in both white ball teams, you know, with his, his height, his skills, uh, he didn't look great in the warm up game yesterday, but I think he has got a lot to offer and maybe he is the sort of World Cup 50 over replacement for Liam Plunkett, you know, that left arm variation would be would be good but I think Sam Curran has that role sort of um, sewn up at the moment um, I, I do think they've got uh, decisions to make about you know everyone knows that Joss Butler is a bit of a special white ball player and, and then you just have to decide but I, I think they have uh, whether he opens or whether he goes in the middle order because England have less strength in the middle order now I think he'll open personally I would be inclined to put him at four uh, but um, yeah not much evidence of that I almost don't again not sure it matters you just make a decision now and you stick to it and you give people a chance to grow into those roles you can maybe have a little bit of flexibility in the middle order uh, like when Owen Morgan comes in but personally I'd be inclined to put Mo, uh, Owen down a six with Butler at four and Stokes at five uh, and, and not mess for a change with Johnny Bairstow. Um but uh, but I fear that they they will and, and Milan you know is going to be given an extended opportunity at three and you know however good Joe Root is you would probably have to say that Milan has earned that opportunity I mean his 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 stats are are terrific uh, and then yeah you've got some questions which I guess are, are pitch dependent on whether you play one spinner or two but bearing in mind what you would expect the World Cup to be like I don't know I'd try and play two when I could. Just on that, I mean, Ferdo's mentioned the, the sort of number of spinners that South Africa have uh, picked. England only really have gone to South Africa with with two um, in 
Adil Rashid and, and Moeen and Liam Livingston can bowl a bit and Joe Root can bowl a bit but um, is, is it a bit of a surprise that they didn't take someone like Matt Parkinson along yeah. just yeah, to no, keep him around a... and keep developing him yeah, a, I thought the Matt Parkinson thing was a really I was really surprised because actually he had a terrific blast um, yeah I thought it was interesting they've invested quite a lot of time into him I, I thought that was uh, really surprising. Um, look, and he you is saw a bit... him a lot last winter. Yeah, and, and, and he's a player in development, and he's a white ball player at this stage. Uh, but uh, I guess they might think of him as one-dimensional, which he, you know, he pretty much is. He's, he's okay in the field, but he's, he's not great. And he, he's, you know, he's, a, he's a number 11. But I was really surprised because, uh, you know... I'm Moen's biggest fan, but he is at a crossroads. He is. Uh, And you might have wanted a bit more support and backup there. So I thought that was surprising. The the other thing is, I'm not sure that um, Joe Root's bowling is appreciated as much as it should be in the format. I think he's only bowled something like one over in his last, this off the top of my head, something like seven, eight, nine T20 internationals. So he's hardly bowled. But I would have thought that he could still play a bit of a role. And there will be days when a bowler goes the distance and they want that other option. Uh, I mean, obviously, with Stokes in the side, you have, you have depth. But um, again, Stokes hasn't, didn't bowl at his best in the IPL. He, he looked way off the pace in the warm-up. Um, so, you know, you, you never want to ask him to do too much. And you never know quite how his body is. So... I don't know. I, I still kind of think there might have been a role for Joe Root, but absolutely fine to have gone for David Milan. You know, he, he can't argue with his form and his stats. He keeps doing it. Um, so, look, they're in a position of strength. These are good decisions to have to make. Oh, nightmare, we've got five openers. There were times when England didn't have any. So um, it, it's a good thing, uh, but everyone has to buy into it. And you have to make these, these ticklish decisions, uh, which uh, it's not impossible they could destabilise a dressing room. I'm not saying they will. I don't think they will. Uh, but, you know, you do have to handle them because there will be disappointment. And if, that, if the disappointed fellow is Johnny Pester again, I wouldn't blame him being quite frustrated because that fella has been messed around. <clears throat> well, and he managed to get dropped from his IPL team despite um, smashing it all over the place, seemingly, for, for the first half of the tournament. Um, as well. I'm sure we won't um, have spoken for the last time on Joe Root and his T20 World Cup hopes. Um, Ferdos, uh, before, we, before we let you go, um, tell us a little bit about what your expectations are of uh, the summer and, and the South African bio bubble. What does that, what does that all look like? We, we heard about George's um, nasal swabs and, uh, and so on um, all through the English summer. Yeah, we've been lucky. The, the South African media actually don't have to have COVID tests. I don't know whether that's lucky or unlucky because who knows what we're going in there with. But um, <laughs> we just have to um, fill in a, a pre-screen app about the, the health that we have experienced in the days leading up to the game. There are limits, so not too many of us. And we will not, uh, I mean, as was I'm sure the case with George, be coming into any contact with any players and we won't uh, even be allowed at training so everything will be done on zoom the bio bubble in, in cape town is at a really nice hotel so the vineyard hotel which has a lot of open space and uh you know the ability for players not to necessarily just sit in a room i think it was mentioned that as the summer progresses and and cricket moves to other parts of the country the bubbles could become a little bit less 
comfortable. So, you know, in Johannesburg uh, and, and then maybe even in depending on where the games get to go because we don't have a schedule yet for the Australia tests, just in terms of how players will then adapt to living in different situations and spending really elongated periods of time away from society and moving from bubble to bubble because potentially a Pakistan tour is on the cards as well. So uh, they would then go to Pakistan, be in a bubble there, and then they would uh, play come home, play Australia, play Pakistan again, and then presumably there's an IPL. So really, really busy. I think Rassi van der described it as, as the, the schedule is going to be absolutely full on from here in South Africa, want to play lots of cricket. And that's just talking about the men's team. You know, there's a lot of emphasis on the women's team at the moment as well. Uh, they're hoping to go to England after they were unable to this winter when the ministerial blockage because of the lockdown. So I think we're up for a lot of cricket. Um, there's even, and this is like a big secret, so don't don't tell anyone, all you millions listening to the podcast, the, there's even some talk that maybe there'll be fans let in towards the end of the summer. So, you know, that's March-ish. I don't know if we'll have a vaccine by that point or what we'll have by that point. Um, and of course, South Africa's case numbers are going up as well. So a lot of us are anticipating that maybe in January we'll have more restrictions. Obviously, we hope not. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe sport is going to open up. And I think, uh, I don't want to say back to normal because nothing has ever been normal, especially not here. But I think we'll be returning to, to some kind of something uh, as interesting as that sounds. You, you know you were talking about how nice that hotel is. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but I was kind of mugged outside it. Do you remember? Not outside on this the tour. vineyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what happened. And That's the a great I advert. Kind of mugged. Because I was running late. I wasn't staying there, I hasten to add, obviously, for those. Our, our, our budget does not extend to that. I think I was going for drinks with Tom Harrison, actually. And I was running a bit late. And right outside, I bumped into a guy, kind of. He bumped into me. Who didn't have... He was bleeding profusely from his mouth. He didn't have a lot of teeth. And um, he said, neither of us want what's about to happen to happen. <laughs> so I gave him some money, very little, as it happened. And then I got inside and told people I'd been mugged and told them the details. And they said, have you been mugged or have you just <laughs> given someone your money? He could have meant anything. None of us <laughs> want what's about to happen to happen. He could have meant, he could have meant global warming. He could have, he meant, have, he could have meant the, the pandemic. He could have meant me talking to Tom Harrison. He could have meant anything. That's, I want to tell you a happy story because everybody talks about crime in South Africa. So before I leave, I'd like to tell you a very happy thing. Two Saturdays Set the ago, we were, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm doing. Two Saturdays ago, we were allowed out, and um, we went for like a journalists' reunion at a pub, like an actual pub. Things got a little bit crazy, and I ended up thinking that my phone had been stolen off me because it wasn't with me. So I made the natural assumption that South Africans make, which is that someone stole it. But as it turned out, I had left my phone in the Uber and the driver returned it to me the next day. And that is, doesn't happen. But then yesterday, I went shopping, not Black Friday shopping, just shopping, and uh, was leaving and thought I'd left my keys in the shop. But it turned out that I'd left my keys in the Uber and the driver returned them to me. So I have had two things returned to me now. Myself the same Uber my or a different keys. Uber? A different Uber. We're full of a uh, seasonal glow. Uh, yeah, well, Zimbabweans are great. That's what we've um, confirmed, uh, Ferdis. Um Okay, uh, well, I think that just about covers it for this episode. The T20s start on Friday. England's lockdown ends next week, and Christmas is around the corner. Let's hope Santa has enough vaccine for everyone. We'll be back with another helping of pod soon, but until then, my thanks to George and Ferdos. 
and to you all for tuning in. Bye.